this beautiful Martin looked right at me. Hello and welcome to Nature Magic. Today I'm talking to Ruth Hanafy. Ruth is Species Conservation Officer at the Vincent Wildlife Trust and is based at the National University of Ireland Galway. She is presently undertaking a dietary analysis of lesser horseshoe bats. But today we are talking to her about that ancient elusive Irish creature, the pine marten or tree cat. The pine marten is rarely seen and only really spoken about when it has created mischief. Ruth is a voice for the pine marten so that we can learn more about this beautiful animal and why it is a key predator in our ecosystem and how we can easily manage any conflict that may arise with humans. Hi Ruth, thank you so much for coming on to the Nature Magic podcast. Hi Mary, it is great to be here. Oh, you're very, very welcome. I'm sitting in Galway and looking out onto a very sunny meadow. And can you tell the listeners where you are today? I am in my lab in NUI Galway, which is a beautiful place to be, lovely, vibrant university campus. And it is also a lovely day. Very good. And you are working in wildlife conservation. Do you want to tell the listeners um, what you do, what your role is, and how did you get into the wildlife conservation? Yes, of course. Well, it's all I ever wanted to do. So I actually studied zoology here in NUI Galway for my undergrad, moved to the UK to study wildlife management and conservation. But my my research um, projects were always on mammals, small mammals, lesser horseshoe bats. Um, and then after that, I worked for about nine years in the field of river restoration in the UK, which was a, an amazing grounding in, in everything from mammals, riparian habitat, geomorphology, working with volunteers and also um, the effects of access to nature on people's physical and mental health. So really interesting place to work. Oh, my and goodness. Then... It sounds like there's a few podcast episodes in yes. there. <laughs> I'm trying not to go off on a tangent. <laughs> it's a fascinating topic. And then after period traveling, came back to Ireland and worked in fisheries for a little while and started with Vincent Wildlife Trust. I'm here about seven and a half years now. And my my title is Species Project Officer and the species I work on are the lesser horseshoe bat, the pine marten and the Irish stoat. So you can imagine as a biodiversity officer working in southeast England and on the tidal Thames, lesser horseshoe bats and pine martens were, were animals I could only dream of working on. Uh, so it is wonderful and it's lovely to be back working on these species in, in Galway and in, and in Ireland again. Can you tell us a little bit about the Vincent Wildlife Trust? Yes, of course. Well, we are an NGO working on mammals in need, and we've been playing a key role in bat conservation in Ireland since 1991, working on the lesser horseshoe bat. And most people will be familiar with my colleague, Kate McEnay, who has been at the forefront of lesser horseshoe bat conservation um, since, since the 80s. And now we work on three we focus on on three key species, the lesser horseshoe bat, and our work for the lesser horseshoe bat is, pine, is primarily in population restoration. And we own at least 12 roosts, maternity roosts for the species down the West Coast because it's only found from Mayo down to West Cork. The pine marten, for which our work is very much focused on conflict management, so we manage the relationship between people and pine martens and also monitoring, for example, we were involved in the pine marten population assessment and we manage pinemarten.ie, a website dedicated to information on the pine marten in Ireland. And then innovative monitoring for species like the Irish stoat. And we will be starting a citizen science survey of the Irish, Irish stoat in 
January 2023, asking people for their sightings of the animal and looking at where it is in the country and also on the Isle of Man, where the, the subspecies is also found, which, which is really interesting. So I recommend a visit to our website. It is www.vincentwildlife.ie and it's a wonderful resource on many of our native mammals and what I love about it is that, that the information there was written by the people who undertook their PhDs on these species so they, they really have the, the, the detailed knowledge of how this animal interacts with the flora and fauna in Ireland where, where wildlife does tend to have a different niche here because of different predators, different habitats and different prey. So for people studying these species, it's really important to look at them from an Irish context because they do tend to have different niches and, and slightly different different um, nuances than in other parts of Europe. Well, thank you so much to everybody in the Vincent Wildlife Trust. Today, we're trying to give a big shout out to the Pine Martin um, because we feel it doesn't have much of a voice in Ireland and any kind of uh, rumours you hear about the Pine Martin are normally about them sneaking into their chickens and things <laughs> like that. So we need the Pine Martin. And can you explain to the listener what the Pine Martin is and any sort of behaviours or the habitats it inhabits? They're, they're a fascinating creature to work on. They're um, from the Mustelid family, which is, is also called the weasel family. And Mustelids are really interesting to work on anyway. The other native Mustelids we have are the Irish stoat, the badger, the otter. And then we have some non-native Mustelids in Ireland, like the Europe, uh, like the American mink, sorry, um, and um, the feral ferret. And as a family of carnivores, they're, they're really important commercially. They, they've historically been trapped. Um, they've been raised for their fur, for their beautiful pelts and then they help control prey populations for example people will, will know if ferrets going down burrows after rabbits um, but not only that um, they're really interesting animals they tend to have this long body and short legs and they're all individually adapted for their, their habitats for example otters are fantastic swimmers um, pine martens as we'll talk about are, are supremely skilled climbers and we know badgers are brilliant at digging and they have this they have this need to, to eat very regularly to keep up this um, their their high metabolism. So they're very curious, uh, very inquisitive animals that are they're looking to feed. And they can't, for example, we'll hear of a lion eating eating a deer and a carcass and having to sleep it off for a couple of days. Whereas mustelids can't do that. They need to keep feeding and feeding. So they're very inquisitive and and clever animals. We have a wildlife um, capture camera down in our rewilded area, and within one night we had a fox walk past, then a badger, and then a pine martin. So oh. it's so, you know, precious to see the pine martin. It really is. And and they're, they're a beautiful creature to work on. And, and most of the mustelas, except badgers, are solitary, which, which I think people find surprising. The male and female will only come together to mate and you won't find large family groups um, like you do with some other, like some other species. So the, the pine martin has been in Ireland um, since the early Neolithic. Um, it came here about 6,000 years ago. And that is, is one of the things that, that sometimes is misunderstood, that they're thought to be an, not a native species. And that's because they were almost wiped out to extinction. So people stopped seeing them in the countryside. They stopped being um, something that was, was talked about. And then people began to see them again. So thought that they had been brought here, um, brought here by, by man and introduced. Well, the Pine Martin has been in Ireland since the early Neolithic. They're, they've been here for, for the last 6,000 years. And 
they have the most beautiful Irish name, which is Cat Cran. And Cat Cran literally translates as tree cat. And there really is no better description for the animal. They're, they're supremely adapted to this, this really complex woodland habitat. They're expert climbers. They're incredibly agile. And to look at, they're, they're a beautiful animal. They have their beautiful fur, their beautiful pelt. It's darker underneath. They have this long bushy tail and this tail is very important to help them counterbalance when they're climbing up trees and when they're up off the canopy. And that's where they like to be. They like to be up off the ground. They, they like to be up off the ground for to, to get away from predators and disturbance and, and to, to feel safer. Um, they have this cream colored throat patch and that's fascinating because it's like a fingerprint. So for anybody with a trail camera or that sees a pine marten regularly, you can tell if it's the same one. And we can't do that with, for example, if we're monitoring Irish stoat, there, there's no way to tell individuals like there is with pine martens. So that's very useful. And uh, our colleagues have put together what they call a very cleverly a bibliography, because this bib can can really tell us a lot about the individual, whether we've got different individuals coming. That's very clever. Yeah, excellent. I'll, I'll, I'll take a note of that and see if we get the same guy on our camera trap yes. again yeah definitely worth doing they have the semi-retractable claws which they use for climbing this beautiful pointed head rounded ears this almost feline like muzzle and their summer coat can be sleeker and darker whereas in winter the coat is thicker and browner and shaggier so they can look a bit bigger and that's obviously to retain heat and as i said mustelids have long body and short legs but Pine marathons that the legs are proportionally longer. And, and like all mustelids, they're incredibly strong for their body size. So the, the name pine marten is, is somewhat misleading because they're not just confined to, to pine forests. They, they, they're, they're woodland specialists, but they are found in all types of temperate forests, deciduous pine, scrub, and somewhere that they've really managed to, to uh, keep a stronghold is the burn, which you wouldn't classically think of a, as a forested habitat, but obviously has a huge amount of, of really nice um, hazel and eggs. yeah, hazel. Lo lovely exactly. shrubbery. And what, what are they looking for to feed on? I know they eat berries and they, they're obviously, they're omnivores, are they? Yes, they're omnivores and they have uh, they eat whatever is locally abundant at that time of year. So this could be small mammals, birds, carrion, insects, amphibians, and then in autumn, lots of fruit and berries. So they, they, I guess, like, like any mammal or animal trying to use its energy efficiently, they will go after what's locally abundant. And including chickens. Including chickens, which has given them a bit of a bad reputation. <laughs> yes, yes. And that is something we will cover shortly, actually, how we've managed to try to, to manage the conflicts between, conflict between people and pine martens. But what's very helpful about what they eat is they leave... Uh, they're a very helpful animal to study because they leave what are the droppings called scats and they choose very obvious areas. For example, a forest path, the top of a tree stump. If, if I was looking for a pine marten in a woodland, I would go to a fallen log and look on this higher place. So they leave these scats to communicate with other pine martens. They're, um, so they're, they're, they're a communication tool. But by looking at the scat, you can tell what they've been eating. So in autumn, these scats are very full of berries. Um, you might see small mammal bones in the scat. So they can, can give us some information as well of what they've been eating. Excellent. And what challenges does the species encounter? They were almost driven to extinction. And this was, so originally they were found in every county in Ireland. They were 
widespread across the whole island. But by the mid 20th century, they were extinct from most of the country. There were a few isolated populations, as I said, in the Burren, in the west of Ireland, um, in County Waterford and Port Law. And this woodland has become an important study area for the site with uh, Waterford IT. The reason for this decline was they were persecuted, they were poisoned, both indirect and, and direct poisoning, um, and much of their forest habitat was lost. So a huge amount of deforestation. And of course, they were hunted for their fur, which was an important um, trade material. Um, so this decline meant that um, in 1976, they were legally protected by the Wildlife Act. And the first survey carried out of them was by Paddy O'Sullivan in the 1970s and 80s. And he looked at scat surveys and sightings. And this gave us our first map of the Pine Martin in Ireland, which showed just how decimated the population was and just how few um, areas really that they were remaining in the country. So the next survey was in 2005, 2006. So again, about 30 years after they were protected. And this showed that the population had expanded, particularly in, in Connacht and, and um, in Mayo and towards parts of Leinster, but really a very, very slow recovery. And this is because they're a slow producing species. They'll only give birth to two to three young. These are called kits. They only give birth when they're in their third year. So they're not an animal that's going to be giving birth to a lot of litters for survival. They mm. will have two or three kits that they will look after. That it's it's the human, the, the way that humans will, will operate also to have a small number of young, but to care for them so that they can, can survive. And do um, they make a nest, Ruth? Or they because I know there are some kind of boxes you can put up to help them or what's yes. there no so they create dens and pine martin like to den off the ground in trees that is their preferred habitat and back when they came to Ireland 6,000 years ago Ireland was covered in these amazing native um, probably mainly broadleaf woodlands however with a huge amount of our woodland loss um, those habitats have become scarcer and, and fewer and far between between. So they like to den off the ground in things like um, holes and tree cavities. They may use squirrel drays. Sometimes they, they could use um, log piles or, or burrows. And but obviously really the, the trees, um, now we take down any dead trees on the whole, but I mean, originally the dead trees were a home for owls and pine martins and everything as they rotted and then there were holes in the trees, but there are so few of them now. Oh, dead trees are an incredible habitat, whether it's for insects and fungi right up to to mammals and and really they're a, probably an overlooked but really really key habitat deadwood habitat and Ireland has some of the lowest levels of forest cover in Europe so by the beginning of the 20th century only one percent of Ireland had any of its original wood woodland cover remaining and now we're at about two percent native woodland or mixed broadleaf woodland so we know that Ireland has about 11 percent forest cover some of the lowest in Europe but some of the fastest growing forest cover in Europe but only 2% of this is native or mixed broadleaf. So our forest cover is growing, but generally it's for plantation and it's non-native species. And, and these don't provide the cracks and crevices and um, flora and fauna at ground level that our native creatures have, have grown to depend on and have evolved um, with. So mm. the, the type there's, of there's a helpful, I think there's a helpful new change in the cap now. It's called acres. I think I might be wrong there, but we have 25 acres that's rewilded on the farm the farm's only 50 acres so we've left 25 acres for wildlife and obviously okay. that's growing up for shrub and everything but we never got paid on that because it wasn't forage area so with your farm okay. payments you got paid 
for forage area and the department guy used to go in trying to look for grass but he got lost one time right you couldn't find any so we didn't get paid but now you can get paid i i believe you can get paid for up to half of your farm to leave it to okay. nature and if that is the case that's going to be extremely helpful for woodlands and for wildlife there is also a native woodland scheme and, and Vincent Wildlife Trust are part of this in County Kerry. And this is replacing non-native conifer habitat with native woodlands. And, and we're really looking forward to seeing how that grows up in the future. And that's part of a, a really, a really helpful scheme. That's amazing. So, and what hmm. else can we do to help the pine, Martin? If, there's, if somebody has a farm that they're listening to this programme, is there anything they can do that you suggest? Yes, well... What we have been doing is so part of the one of the, the strands of work that Vincent Wild Trust is, is involved in is, is conflict management. And this is very much concerned with pine martens, because if you take a, a forest dwelling woodland specialist and you lose a lot of its native, native habitat and, and where it dens, it, it's looking for alternative denning sites as the, the population is recovering. And because of this, pine martens in some cases have found the same secure off the ground denning sites in attics of, of occupied and unoccupied houses. And that has brought them into contact with people and they don't make good house guests. And, and we have a huge amount of, of empathy for anybody that does have a pine martin in their attic. And it's, um, it's not a pleasant experience. But what we can do are create artificial denning sites that pine martens will readily use. So these are called den boxes. They're put high off the ground, three maybe three meters off the ground in a suitable tree, and they will replicate those features of cracks and crevices. And they've been where they've been put up and were involved in den box schemes in in. England and Scotland, and we have a number of den box up in Ireland. They are readily taken up by female pine martens who use them to, to as a denning site and give birth to their kids in them. So, so they provide that feature that you would find in an old dead tree, or as well as that, it's it's um generally trees of about a hundred year old years old will have the kind of features that that would provide suitable habitat for for a den and across Europe where there are pine martens we have species like black woodpecker and black woodpecker nests create that provide that perfect size but we don't have black woodpecker in Ireland we do now have great greater spotted woodpecker but again the 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 holes aren't really big enough so it's trying to provide what would have been found in nature originally in very old um large trees so these den boxes are are a fantastic measure and do work and we use them to, to retain pine martens in the woodlands where they prefer to be where they're safer and with, which keeps them out of of contact and conflict with humans oh very good so and um, can people contact the vincent wildlife trust if they have a pine martin in their attic or, or what um, would they do so Pine Martin can only be removed from an attic under license by a National Parks and Wildlife Service conservation ranger. But the, the key take home message is that you need to ensure that your attic is Pine Martin proof before the key period when the female is looking for a denning site. Generally, she will be doing that in, in February or March. And Pine Martins can access attics through very small gaps, um, a hole that's over four centimetres in in width is big enough for a female to to get through but also if if there's old dead rotting wood uh, a martin can use their teeth to enlarge this and get through so we created a little video last year uh which i can send you a link to and that was to encourage people to check their fascia and soffit and attic spaces really around saint patrick's day to look for any any holes or gaps because a female will be looking out for a site then and the issue is 
that once a female gets in and gives birth to the young, which is generally early to mid-April, it's too late then because if if the, the female and the young are are disturbed, she may abandon them. And a pine martin is a protected species under the Wildlife Act and also under Annex 5 of the Habitats Directive. So it's ensuring that they don't get in in the first place because once a female has gotten into den, then it's a, it's an infinitely more complicated situation. And generally we need to wait until the female and the juveniles have left. Now, when the young are born, they're blind, hairless, completely dependent on the female for the first few weeks of life. And they're not leaving the young, they're, abs- they're not leaving the, the den and they're absolutely tiny. But as they get older and they're still in the den, that's when people will notice that they're there because they will hear these these animals making noise and the female may be bringing in um, mice or voles to feed them. Um, and really, that's where a lot of the disturbance comes from. And, and you can have urine and, and the prey species left there after they're eaten. So really, it's making sure that that the holes and gaps aren't there for the animal to find this denning site and and feel that. it's yeah. a suitable Oh, that's fair. that's very good advice. Um, have you had any special encounter with a pine martin? Oh, goodness. Do you know, I've been working on pine martins now for seven and a half years and I and including serving for them for months at a time in the field as part of the pine martin population assessment. I'm a wildlife and landscape photographer. All of my hobbies involve being outside, although many of them involving in the sea where I won't find a pine martin. But I have so few encounters. So that that really shows me that that they are elusive. I mean, there are some people who, who will have a, a pine martin that's curious and coming up to its door, and especially if, if pine martins know that there is, is food in a particular garden. But my encounters have been a pine martin being very uh, nervous, very vigilant and and vanishing out of sight. But my best encounters have been in the Schlee Blooms in Glory Glory Hides with uh, Kevin McCann, where I have, have rented the hide to, to photograph the pine martin. And, and when you see the pine martin photographs on our website or for example recently with the, the all-ireland pine martin symposium their photos that i've taken from the hide and it's been magical because even though i was in the hide behind this big long lens um hidden and, and wearing soft materials and making no noise this beautiful martin looked right at me and was so conscious that that i was there you know you just knew that it was nervous and and it was taking the the food that that had been left for it but it was so conscious there was a human there and it was spending no time hanging about and, and it was leaving as soon as it could but but just to see this animal I've spent so many years uh, working to protect and to help people to understand right in front of me it's as uh, that's absolutely marvelous now I've, I've, I've seen one twice in my life so once on the farm years ago just trotting along the top of a wall in the middle of the day and then I saw one crossing the road in the barn in front of oh, me yes so um, unfortunately, I saw a roadkill only yesterday. But I mean, maybe that shows that there are more around, hopefully. Well, when the, the juvenile, so they're solitary. So you you if you see a number of them together, it's generally a juvenile, a couple of juveniles with the female, with their, their mum. So they then have to go and find their own territories. And this can take sometimes six to 16 months. But generally, in the few months after they leave the den, they will be heading off to find their own territories which is called dispersing and that's often when juveniles are killed on the road and and juveniles are like the young of any species they don't really know you know they don't have the same the same sense of of where to go safety exactly (laughs) 
Okay, so they can be the ones doing ridiculous things that that get them into into conflict with people, um, and and just being clueless. So that's when they're dispersing, and that's when when we think a quite quite a good few are killed on the road. But if people do see roadkill pine martens, or ideally a pine marten in 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 that's alive, um. We always encourage them to report them to the National Biodiversity Data Centre or to use the app. And that's that helps us to, to look at where they are, to, to keep an eye on, on areas where pine martens weren't recorded previously. For example, we have very few records from North and West Cork, which is interesting. There's been a big gap there. Right. But these records really help scientists and, and help conservation organizations like Fence and Wildlife Trust to look at where the species is recovering or where there are gaps in distribution. And we have had... Um, an All-Ireland Squirrel and Pine Martin survey. So that's looking at distribution of red squirrel, grey squirrel and pine martin in 2007, 2012, and most recently 2019. And that's where we call on members of the public to send in these sightings and, and make a concentrated effort to highlight that, that we are looking for records. And that is roadkill as well as live sightings. And that helps us to create distribution maps and look at how the species, those three species, especially their interactions have changed over time. Interesting. So it was it was up um, kind of North Mayo, actually. We went up there. That's where I saw it. Um, so uh, what do I say to the person that has chickens and has a sort of hatred towards the pine martin because they're afraid the pine martin is going to come in and kill all the chickens? Yes. Um, or what do we do to prevent? I mean, it's very hard to keep chickens out of. I mean, yes. sorry, <laughs> it's very hard to keep pine martins out of the chicken pen that all comes down to animal husbandry which is ensuring that your pine your pen is pine martin proof so a number of years ago in response to to the issues between people and pine martins we teamed up with the national parks and wildlife service and we created pinemartin.ie this website is a national resource for the pine martin in ireland and we want to respond to all of the queries and issues that that we deal with on on a regular basis so this this website is aimed at journalists who are, are writing articles so they could access facts, um, information, um, as well as photographs and footage of pine martens, gun clubs and poultry keepers, foresters and farmers and householders. And householders have been one of the, the key um, groups that we've, we've seen access the website when we've looked at the analytics, which has been very interesting. And for householders, it's, it's often keeping a pine martin out of their attic space, but also people trying to keep chickens not on a commercial basis but just a pen in the back garden and often you know um these chickens may be pets and and the family may have named the chickens and they really come to mean a lot to the family so really it's down to to ensuring that building the right pen exactly so So you can get advice on there that's amazing yeah and there are step-by-step videos, PDFs and guidance. But essentially, it's some of the things I mentioned earlier. Ensure that there are no gaps, including in the netting, that are greater than four centimetres. Ensure the wood is good quality and isn't rotting after a winter of rain, for example, so it can't be chewed and enlarged by the pine martin. Um, and as well as that, uh, you know, that a pine martin, pine martins aren't diggers, but you could have another animal dig a hole underneath and that would allow access for pine martens to get underneath. Underneath, pine martens are fantastic climbers, so a chicken pen to keep out a fox wouldn't need to take into account a roof. But for an avian predator or a pine martin, you need to take into account that they're brilliant climbers. Um, that pine martens are brilliant climbers, and if there are trees nearby within one to two meters of a pen, and it's open a martin can just jump in so it's ensuring that those extra measures are taken um so that that 
that a pine martin can to access the, the so pen. so we can live happily together with the pine martin exactly yeah and brilliant. as I'm, i mentioned mustelids are curious so so they, they are clever and curious and, and given enough time, particularly, for example, over over winter nights, a lot of darkness. Pine Martin has a lot of time to figure out the pen and see if there are any access points. So one of the main things we've recommended in our work with gun clubs is electrified netting. Now, this isn't always possible for people keeping pens at home. So we have been trying deterrent systems and some of these are ultrasonic ultrasonic give off a very high high pitched call may have a flashing light or a foul smell um, or spray water so once we have a deterrent that works we're trialing these um, for the last number of months at a couple of sites in Galway and Mayo so once we have one that works we will be continue to test that ideally in a, in a structured way at different parts of the country and we will be highlighting that on our website but we're not going to put out methods that we haven't tried and tested yeah. but householders do sometimes find pine martins get into their wheelie bins because you know people who don't have access to somewhere to to maybe compost or or get rid of things will put them in the bin so for some people that's not something they want so we've trialed an item called a bin strap, which is a really simple item that you can drill a hole in your bin. And it was originally designed in Galway to keep bins from blowing open and allowing uh, rubbish to blow into the sea and for pollution, because it's such a windy part of the country and keeping wheelie bins closed in winter can be tough work. <laughs> um, I know that myself from growing up in Galway. So these keep the bin closed. And, and you'll see on pinebound.ie and on vincentwildlife.ie where we have monitored the, the Pine Martin using a trail camera and it can not get in and <laughs> trying its best to get through this bin strap and it can't so when we see that we can say right bingo this is a, a, a very low cost item that you can use and it works and it can and it's interesting because the gentleman where we tested the bin strap loves his pine martin so we were conscious to get it off the bin so he wouldn't he wouldn't lose his his beloved uh, martin but for some that's yeah, we have yeah. one line of electric around the top of the, well, the, the, we've got two ducks at the moment in the orchard and there's a fence which is dug into the ground so the foxes can't dig in and one line of electric around the top. Um, we had one instance a few years ago when somebody did get in, but yeah. since then nothing and the, the ducks go in and out to their house themselves so we don't actually shut them in at night and they seem to be they seem to be safe. Can you tell us why it's important to preserve predators in the ecosystem and the pine martin, obviously? Oh, that's a good, a good big question there. Yeah, just, just briefly. <laughs> just, just, just throw that one out there. Well, they are an integral part of our ecosystem. You know, they've been here, as I said, since the early Neolithic, and they are as integral a part as the other species that that we work on, for example, the Irish stoat, the lesser horseshoe bat. When Ireland was blanketed in forestry and, and none of us or our, our grandparents or great-grandparents and even our nearest ancestors were here, these animals were here. And, and other creatures that, that we need to look to protect, for example, the pygmy shrew, the red squirrel, um, these are all an integral part of, of this beautiful island um, they're at their outermost edge of their range in the west of Europe. They've adapted to our mild climate. They've adapted to our habitats. And really, the reason that they are in decline is not because of anything they've done themselves. It's because of how humans have changed the landscape. And I think it's incumbent on us as guardians of this landscape and the species that use it to, to really protect them and ensure that we don't lose species to extinction, but not even to extinction, that we don't see their numbers driven to, to a point that they can't recover. Um, and that really is 
is our our duty because they can't do that for themselves if you know the loss of habitat and the impacts on on these animals are coming from us and what we do and thank you for the the fabulous work that you're doing to try and you know help the pine martins and we used to do a thing with the kids on the school tours where they'd hold a string and it was the web of life so they'd pass the the ball of wool to the next person so it's a goat and you'd have to say what's the goat connected to grass and then eventually you get this big like spider's web you know with all the children in a circle and then they would if, if you showed them if you dropped one species how the web would collapse Mm-hmm. You know, so even all these small little species that you think they're, you know, maybe not holding up our ecosystem, but they're all so integral, aren't they? Mm. Well, it's I heard a beautiful uh, answer to this question on Tuesday evening when uh, NPWS Conservation Radio Sinead began and I were lucky enough to be interviewed for 6-1 News by George Lee and we were monitoring um, lesser horseshoe bats at, at a wonderful reserve with a fantastic um, uh, farming couple, Liam and Dolly Walsh. And this is part of the Less Horseshoe Bat Species Action Plan, which will be launched next week. And um, so George and, and John, the wonderful cameraman, filmed Lesser Horseshoe Bats and talked to Sinead and I about their 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 the species and, and their role in and their ecology and the work that has been done to protect them. And, and when Sinead was asked a similar question, she said that there is a, as part of our our culture as the GA, as our folklore and, and our wildlife even predates these and is as an integral a part of our culture as these things that we hold so dear and we treasure. And I thought it was the most perfect answer and, and one I'm going to, to borrow for this for this interview. And uh, Sinead is from Limerick and a very, very um, keen, keen hurling fan and was up at the All-Ireland recently. So for her to say something like that, I thought it was really powerful and I wholeheartedly agree yeah that, that actually gives me that gives, that gives me the shivers it's a great Does answer yeah. yes it is yeah. and I I fully believe in in you know something being here for its own sake we don't need to find a reason to look to protect it but the recent um experiences of, of people working on on red and gray squirrels and and people come into contact with red squirrels for the first time in 20 years has really helped to drive home that it is a balance it is a species balance and What's happened is that people were seeing red squirrels in parts of the country that they hadn't seen them in 20 years. And they were used to seeing grey squirrels, but they, they hadn't seen grey squirrels in quite a while. And, and there was something afoot and this needed to be investigated. And the grey squirrel is a non-native invasive species, which means it, it hasn't been here. Anything here before the 1500s is regarded as native or naturalized. The grey squirrel mm-hmm. was brought here in 1911 and it was a gift uh, given to, to um, an estate in Newton Forbes in County Longford a wedding gift and really as wedding gifts go it's it's up there with the worst there must be because of the legacy which is that the species became um, very successful in Ireland spread out dominated and saw the decline of our native uh, red squirrel and the native red squirrel has been here for thousands of years has evolved with the pine martin but the the gray squirrel is larger. It can survive in more habitats. It can survive more on the ground. So it can adapt to much more habitats. For example, people see it in urban environments, and it also carries a squirrel pop virus, which kills the red squirrel, doesn't harm the gray squirrel. 
So we saw that decimate red squirrel populations. And, and in other areas, for example, in the UK, red squirrels driven to very few areas and, and extinct for much of the country. But with this slow recovery of the pine marten, um, especially you know, in the survey I mentioned in 2007, it seems that the gray squirrel has retract, retracted from a broad area. Now this has expanded to nine counties in the Midlands, and that's been due to the recovery of the pine marten. Now it's very much on a woodland level when a pine marten, when the population of pine martens reaches a certain density, but that has resulted in gray squirrel numbers crashing. And then with the lag period of maybe two years, red squirrels have been unable to recover. So amazing. that is really yes, it is amazing. And and I think other scientists working on these species outside of Ireland are looking to us to see what's happening in the mechanism because it's been this incredible natural recovery of the much loved red squirrel and uh, systems are so complex that you really need it to be a natural um, intervention to to really work sustainably what's really interesting is that there, there's been a huge amount of research from um Josh Twining and Dave Tosh in Ulster, Con Lawton and Emma Sheehy in NUI Galway and, and Emma's work in Scotland and Kat McNichol in the UK. And that has been to really look at what the mechanism is, whether, whether you know, what it is that, that was having that effect. So this work has shown us that it's what we call a predator naive response. So Josh and Dave's recent work has shown us that it's a predator naive response, which is that the red squirrel is very alert when it's aware of pine martin presence. And this was a pine martin scent was used to test this whereas a gray squirrel isn't alert of a predator nearby it doesn't have the same the same watch out whereas a red squirrel knows that it, it needs to be cautious and it's it's aware of of this predator and that's because they've evolved together um so for that oh, reason that's fascinating isn't it absolutely it, it, fascinating it, it is and it's been a really interesting narrative and and i think um it really is, can drive home how fascinating ecology is in Ireland and how our species are ever changing. I mean, I mentioned the pygmy shrew, which is now under threat from the non from the non-native greater white the shrew. Um, really, our wildlife isn't fixed, and our species aren't fixed, and we have invasive species coming, and and we have um, we have the the we just see changes in our native wildlife and that's why it's it's i really encourage anyone interested in studying in this field th that it is an interesting and exciting place to research and our wildlife acts differently here than it does across europe because it's it's much milder there is a different assemblage of, of species and predators uh, many of our our native animals rely heavily on hedgerows we know that barn owls do badgers do um and our lesser horseshoe bats do because because we've lost so much of our woodland but we really have a our, our hedgerows are our jewel and they link up the, the good areas of habitat. So, so protecting and looking after our hedgerow, hedgerows is key to ensuring our wildlife can navigate. I think that's the dream that every farm would give some space over to nature and that all the farms could be connected either by riparian corridors or by hedgerows. So because we feel like we are an island here for the wildlife, if they venture their noses out of here, they haven't a hope. You know, it's yeah. all um, conventional farming and people do not want predators on their land. So if they could just connect up the country and give them so much more of a chance and then give the forest time to recover. Um, and what else can you recommend for people to do to support wildlife or any of the particular species that you're working on? Well, a lot of, of people email our website and, and they would love to have 
whether it's red squirrels or pine martens, or they would love to have these species near them. And what I do is I look up the National Biodiversity Data Centre mapping system and I see where the closest records are. Now, records are where somebody has submitted a sighting. So it could be that that um, they're nearby, but just people haven't submitted them. And that's why um, when people do submit sightings to the data centre, it really does inform a huge amount of what we can tell people and our knowledge. But essentially, it's down to habitat. It's ensuring that an animal can get there sustainably of its own accord. Uh, the The idea of of uh, translocations they're hugely costly. They they can only be done under under strict licenses and with a huge amount of 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 pre feasibility to ensure an animal can survive there. The most sustainable way for anything to happen is it for to happen naturally. So so especially people contact us, you know, wondering if there's any way to encourage squirrels their area and I always say it's down to the habitat that the native food plant and and the native um, species that these animals look to to den or create strays in that's what they need so that the animal can can find its way to where these habitat blocks so it's all about habitat it's, it's all really about improving yeah. I mean even this morning I had an email from somebody saying I want to leave half my garden over to a wildflower meadow or, you know what seeds can I sow and I was explaining oh well, you don't need to sow the seeds you know this is how you manage it with cutting and perhaps you could leave a corner just for shrubs you know to give a little space so more and more people who can do that leave, leave somewhere for animals to go or even hide for a minute and just before we go Ruth have you got a book that you'd like to recommend to the listeners um, I always ask the podcast guests if they have a recommended book it doesn't have to be about fine martins but something to do with nature yes I do there is a book called Pine Martins and it's written by Johnny Burks who um, worked with Vincent Wildlife Trust in the UK years ago and is a superb ecologist and a, a real Pine Martin champion and Johnny Burks and John Martin have been coordinating one of the, the big box schemes in Galloway for the last 20 years and look I was lucky enough to go to Galloway in in May and undertake the box checks with them because they're now handing over the project to Forestry and Land Scotland and Johnny's book, I read, I was reading it uh, in preparation for this podcast. And there are times when I laugh out loud because Johnny is such a, a fantastic ecologist, but also witty and has a, a just a real love of these species. And it's written in a way that's that's it's it's full of science and it, it's and it's so informative, but it's a beautiful story to read. And Johnny has done something that we really appreciate, which is he has also talked about Pine Martins from an Irish perspective, because as I said, there are differences and these are really important differences. And he is woven in that and and the Irish context of whether it's folklore or conflict or habitats into the book. So it's Pine Martins uh, by Johnny Burks. And it's lovely. It's a delight. It's a delight to read, but so informative as well. Oh, fantastic. I will get that, uh, order that for the shop. And it was Johnny Burke and Johnny Martin, was it? Or John so Martin? Johnny Burks and John Martin. John Martin, are... he's very appropriately named. John yes, Martin. Yes, he is. They are the most wonderful people to work with. And I've been lucky enough to work with them on and off over the years. And and standing in this beautiful forest in Galloway, surrounded by these, you know, there was an incredible amount of 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 uh 
of trees that had been knocked over by the recent storms and looking at den boxes and we were checking den boxes using thermal imaging cameras to to reduce any disturbance and they have had great success in seeing pine martens breed in the den boxes and you you just learn so much from being around them but they're 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 just a they're just a tonic. They're absolutely wonderful. Uh, that sounds yeah. like a very special moment as well. So thank you so much, Ruth, for coming on. I think we know a lot more about the Pine Martin now. And it's great that you can give a voice to an animal that sometimes needs a little bit of backup um, from humans. <laughs> we really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really loved it. Thank you, Mary. And thank you for taking the time out of your day and because I know you're so busy and you're up at night doing the horseshoe bat monitoring <laughs> and everything is everything is still happening at the moment. It's just that time of year. So thank you so much for doing the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Nature Magic. News from the Boran Nature Sanctuary is that the turlip is in full bloom at the moment with purple loosechoice, meadow sweet, forget-me-not and mint. RTE were filming the turlip or disappearing lake during the week for a documentary on the Boran that we will have to wait two years to watch. Brian from Crossing the Line Productions waited patiently for sunrise and sunset and for the ties to fill this magical freshwater lake and then completely drain it again. The first of the Slow Cabins visitors stayed this week and had a wonderful time. And there is a two-page spread on the launch of Slow Cabins in Ireland in the Daily Mail this week. To add to our conservation team for managing the wildflower meadow, and because they are just so fluffy, we have welcomed two ballet black-nosed sheep who are proving a huge hit with visitors and are ridiculously friendly. We are open every day in August, so pop in and say hello.